0: So this is going to be kind of looking at some of the cultural questions based on mostly on the surveys that we did and um, sorry about that uh, one, of the, one of the kind of um, things that we 're asking questions about is this kind of orthodox claim of media education to kind of take young people 's popular culture seriously. This is our kind of routine claim that we somehow incorporate their cultural experience in the work of the classroom so There are some questions about do we really do this, do we do it for all kids, if so how do we do it, how does that actually happen as a process in the classroom Uh, and what would those cultures be anyway, how would we think about them, I mean clearly there is no kind of homogeneous young people's culture and that's obviously one of the things we found. Um, So how would they find out about these, what would that look like? But then another question, what about their own media cultures? Because there are different ways of looking at this. You know, if the, if the teachers are the kind of middle-class guys, you know, and they're trying to incorporate this popular culture of the kids, what happens about their media culture? Do they shelve it? Do they disavow it? Do they displace it with what they fondly imagine might be the students' media cultures? Um, and are their media cultures so different from those of the students' anyway? <coughs> So that was one of the things we wanted to try and look at. And there are a few clues in the surveys, as we'll see in a minute. What about different social contexts? These two sites, as David's already said, are kind of very different socioeconomically. Um, so what kind of difference might that make as well? Um, to go back to David's kind of dead white males, there are some um, sort of cultural theories lurking behind this. So the Bourdieu's idea of cultural capital is one of them. You know what, what, what do the kids bring into the classroom that might be legitimised in the media studies experience and how would that form of legitimation take place, how would it be recognised? Um, but equally, what's the cultural capital of the teachers and how does that somehow collide with or meet up with or find the same place as um, what the kids bring into the classroom as well? It used to be thought that middle-class people's uh, cultural tastes were entirely defined by being wedded to a kind of elite aesthetic. Uh, over the last ten years, this kind of idea of the cultural omnivore has appeared in sociology, in which the idea is that uh, middle-class people's um, cultural tastes uh, are better defined now by the ability to range across different types of media, You know, so we can all kind of play Grand Theft Auto and go to the opera at the same time now. So. So, you know, are the teachers really cultural omnivores? Are the more middle class kids more like cultural omnivores than the working class kids? How does all that work out? Um, Another kind of finding in recent sociological um, research has been that the issue of class is kind of still important. And that reconfiguration of the cultural omnivore is one way of looking at that. But it's not the only factor, and it may not be as important, for instance, as age and gender and other factors. So we can have a look at how that pans out in the survey as well. The other theory we've used is Homi K. Baba's idea of the third space, which is a kind of negotiating space. I mean, he, he thinks about it in terms of post-colonial theory. How would different cultures from different parts of the world somehow kind of shake up together when they meet um, or collide? So, in this case, how do the media cultures of teachers and students meet up in the classroom? Um, A kind of cosy version of this is that there'll be a sort of perfect synthesis, you know, and everything will shake down into the best of all possible worlds. Um, Unsurprisingly, it's not really like that. Okay, let's have a look at some of the um, what might all this mean for the classroom. So, the survey, those are the numbers. Student media cultures, kind of general consumption picture, these are very much kind of headline figures. There's nothing very sophisticated going on here with the analysis because we're still trying to do that. But uh, some general kind of um, tentative um, headline figures. So, secondary students, unsurprisingly, television is still the kind of top medium of choice, followed by music, games, and films, and that's the sort of range of percentage of kids who um, lay claim to that. Primary, very similar. Very similar. Similar figures, but uh, music a little bit lower down, particularly for younger children, as you might expect. Newspapers, quite a bit lower down, but they read newspapers, and as we'll see later, there was a difference between the two sites in newspaper consumption by the students. Teachers, again, sort of unsurprisingly in a way, television top again, music also important, but then radio, unsurprisingly. Film and newspapers a similar percentage, so newspapers much higher up, unsurprisingly for teachers and even higher for media teachers. Media teachers read newspapers, that's right. Uh, and again, unsurprisingly, games, which, which appears time and time again in these figures as one of the big kind of demarcating media, much lower for teachers. So we look at this and we think, you know, are they in similar cultural worlds? Well, in some ways, yes. Television music. In other ways, not. Newspapers, very different. Games, very different. But when you probe a little bit further, so we have a look at teachers' gaming cultures... So, okay, very low. The number of teachers who said that they played games frequently was 15%. But 63% said that they did have some recent experience of games. So, you know, they're not entirely kind of uh, game virgins, if you you like. And also, the games they named when they were asked to choose ones was a very wide range. So we had online role-playing games like EverQuest, which I don't think any of the kids mentioned, but could check. Call of Duty, which lots of the kids mentioned, of course, boys particularly. Um, and the Wii Wii games, which the students mentioned as well. So, actually, it's not quite as simple as you might think. There is a substantial sort of cultural experience of games in there if you dig down a bit further. Online cultures. um, Students, okay. a lot of them use Facebook, a lot of them use Bebo. Only 5% use Twitter, which was at odds with one of the teachers' perceptions of their online cultural practice. Primary kids. Um... For the younger kids, CBBC, YouTube were kind of dominant, and then as we went up the age range towards 11, Facebook began to appear much more prominently, and Club Penguin, the uh, virtual world that uh, Jackie's written a lot about for older primary students. Teachers, unsurprisingly, I mean, they all use the internet, of course, almost all. Unsurprisingly, more for kind of functional um, personal purposes, shopping, banking, and so on. But still, forty-three percent use social media. Facebook, <coughs> again, and um, there were some references in the interviews to their use of social media as well. And in some cases, they're surprised that the uh, they're surprised at the students' surprise that they used the same social media. Oh my God, the teachers on Facebook. I think it was the one. In terms of making their own media, we were kind of interested to explore whether people really do make their own media in line with kind of recent rhetorics about uh, everybody becoming a kind of prosumer, or whichever of those portmanteau words you prefer. Um, The students, there's a lot of this, 43% primary, 87%, say they make some kind of film or other, but it was hard to tell what these were, and our instinct was that these were kind of, Largely unedited, fairly simple kind of camcorder stuff, so probably not complex film editing. Photos, music mixes, websites, all kind of predictable in a way. Making a computer game was very high for secondary students, but we think that's because both of these schools have um, our excellent mission-maker software on their uh, network, so they'll stay there after school, particularly in in one of the sites, busily making computer games. Teachers, um, rather less of this, but still some substantial kind of making of stuff. Um, There was a sense with quite a lot of this stuff that it didn't necessarily meet up with what the teachers did in the classroom. So there was one art teacher, for instance, who made her own animations and uploaded them online, but but didn't do that kind of animation work in her art class with students. So some making, but it's probably rather less than some of the recent rhetorics suggest. Social gaps, so comparing the two sites in relation to our kind of question about whether social class was still important, whether it was as important as factors like age and gender. So there was greater, um, one of the kind of marked things was again to do with games. I mean quite, quite substantially greater game console ownership in bedrooms in the less affluent area than in the more affluent area. Um, and this is a kind of pattern that's been going on for a long time now, so it's interesting to see that it's kind of still, still there. Um, a little bit more PC or computer ownership in bedrooms in the more affluent area, but not perhaps not terribly significant in terms of percentages. Uh, more newspaper reading in the less affluent area, actually, across the board. Uh, these were largely tabloid um, titles when we looked at the preferences. So, you know, more, more literate in many ways... Um, Students' own media, this was kind of interesting, it was on their own reporting, their own media in schools was more widely tolerated in school than in the more affluent area. So bringing in mobile phones and games and so on seemed to be more widely tolerated. Um, So there was a bit of a sense then of a slightly bigger gap between the teachers' um, media cultures and the students in the less affluent area particularly around things like newspaper choices and game choices. So, just to take one example of taste, again, games, I'm sorry to keep picking on games here, but it it does throw up some of the bigger contrast, and I'm interested in games. I'll get round to the other stuff eventually. Um, These were quite interesting. So, tastes and preferences. So, in the more affluent site, the top choices for primary school students for games were Club Penguin, Lego, okay, those were the two big numbers. After that it became very niche, just one or two one or two students. Whereas in the less affluent site, the top choices for primary was Grand Theft Auto and Call of Duty. Um, now Call of Duty has popped up in a couple of projects I've been involved with recently as a kind of huge gaming discourse among primary school boys. So something interesting is kind of going on there. But uh, the interesting thing here is there's such a marked difference between the two sites, I think. At the same time, however, there are a lot of shared tastes as well. So FIFA is a very popular one, Sonic, Mario, Ben 10, common across both sites in all four primary schools. So, you know, some differences, but a lot of shared ground as well. Oops, wrong one. However, to go back to our, our kind of recent sociological theory idea, gender does appear to me to be more significant. So you look at the boys' choices in primary schools. FIFA, Lego, Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto, Mario Kart. Girls, there's only one common thing, and it's Mario Kart. So there's a little research project there for somebody maybe. So Club Penguin, The Sims, Dress Up Games, CBBC. So the gender differences look actually rather more stark than than the if these are class differences. And then age... Again, very marked. So six-year-olds, Ben Ten, C B CBBC, CBBs, Mario Kart, Sonic, 11-year-olds, Grand Theft Auto, Mario Kart, FIFA, The Sims, Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 2, I think. So, you know, we we can say, as these recent sociological kind of theories suggest, that class is still significant. (coughs) I'm thinking about you know if teachers have to take this into account when they're thinking what are we looking for when we're trying to find out do our own research on what these media cultures are that we're trying to, be able to bring into the classroom what patterns might be useful for them to look for okay so class is still important but age and gender are possibly more important okay so social gaps games and newspapers I've mentioned. One kind of difference we've noticed is that in the more affluent area, the teachers mostly lived in the same area, and some evidence that they shared some similar tastes and uses. In the less affluent area, the teachers are mostly living somewhere else. But on the other hand, there's a kind of sense that they may have a more positive view of students' media uses and tastes, as evidenced by the kind of tolerance of their own media um, equipment being brought into school, for instance. We looked um, also at media teachers' perceptions of student culture, partly in the survey, but partly also in interviews with them. So these are some kind of patterns that come out here. Some of them feel remote from students' media teachers. So this example of... Sorry about that. I found teaching a course on computer games quite challenging because it's something I don't do in my spare time. So that kind of thing, which is both a problem and actually, of course, an opportunity because the teacher, at least here, is recognising that this is something they... They could include in the curriculum some feel much closer this is the you know oh my God the teacher's got Facebook uh, quote Some see a kind of technological gap um, you know um, I don't I use a lot of technology but the kids are more up with the technology than me and this may well be a kind of misperception and some assume a uh, assume a kind of cyber savviness. Um this is the teacher who thought all the kids used Twitter whereas in fact the survey showed that only sort of three to five percent did so, you know, there are some kind of interesting perceptions which raises the question, how would a teacher know you know, what the media cultures and preferences of the students are? How would they find out? I mean, we've gone to enormous trouble to survey it and interview about it, so we've got some idea. A teacher obviously can't do that, so what can they do? And I should leave that as a question, which I'm confidently, for sure, will be answered by Becky, Mandy and David a little bit later, <laughs> later on, or maybe not. Um, so, gaps between students and teachers. So there are gaps, of course, some of them very predictable, but there's also considerable overlap. So no real sense of here of digital natives and digital immigrants. No real sense of two groups of people living in totally different cultured universes. As much evidence, really, that they're living in the same kind of cultural world. Pronounced niche interests. So as David said, you know these tastes are very fragmented, and if, if you're a media teacher thinking, how do I... Get a grip on this. That's one thing, of course, we have to think about. But there is some evidence also of kind of residual common cultures, particularly around television. So television tastes, particularly in popular drama and game shows and that kind of thing, were cited by students and teachers alike. So a teacher could equally well say, "Well, I'll begin there and and build on that." Teachers enthusiastic about incorporating students' media interest into the curriculum still some prohibition of students' media practices in schools. Not by the media teachers, but by the school regimes more generally. Um, Okay, so what actually happens in teaching? I'm just going to kind of finish this bit with a little um, snapshot example, because for me it was a, a kind of interesting critical incident. And Becky and I were both kind of watching this, so we've got interesting sort of observations about it. So in this, I, the teacher is in the room, I apologise, warned him in advance, don't worry. Um, in this lesson was looking at uh, the language of, of the moving image, specifically in relation to scary stories, primary school, or horror films, secondary school. Um, and uh, the, the tactic here that the teacher adopted was to bring in a horror game, Resident Evil 4, and play it in the classroom. Okay? So our feeling about this afterwards, it was it was very productive. Uh, it was a game that the teacher enjoyed, so you know, in terms of what the teacher's media culture is, this is something that was legitimately part of the teacher's cultural capital, but it was also something that several of the students in the class recognised and felt as part of their cultural capital as well, particularly one boy who was a, something of a games expert and whose tongue was kind of loosed by having this example presented in the classroom. However, something interesting then happened, which is that there was one girl in the classroom who was a, a kind of film buff, really. So her cultural capital was the kind that's very easily legitimated in media studies classrooms, well-recognised, well-rewarded, A-grades all the way. And she became kind of a bit stroppy about this, you know, because this computer game was kind of displacing, the, offered to displace the film culture. So this big row ensued about whether films or games were better and what the differences were. And it opened up some kind of very interesting but difficult territory about strong emotions and cultural affiliations, which had to be handled and were quite difficult to handle. Quite complicated conceptual areas, what were the different narrative structures of games and films, which was what the unit was kind of about. But also how to kind of somehow resolve this and find a kind of third space where not only the teachers and the students... um, Cultures could somehow meet up, but actually, more importantly, in this case, the different cultural affiliations of different students could meet up and be equally well recognised. So quite difficult. And one of the kind of productive things that happened in the end was a kind of, well, what I thought was a kind of clever resolution through production, which was to choose a production project where the students with the GCSE um, course had to make um, a horror game using the Mission Maker software. But also a cutscene that would introduce the game at the beginning, so a piece of film. So they made a piece of live action film, which in principle would satisfy the kind of more filmically orientated students, and they made a computer game as well, and the two were made together in groups. Now, whether that kind of neatly resolved all the problems, I don't know, it probably didn't, and we haven't got enough evidence to say. But in principle, if you were thinking about how to manage all of this, that would be kind of a good way, not necessarily to follow up the conceptual questions that are raised about narrative here, though we could do that as well, but about how to kind of somehow find a space where these colliding cultural tastes could could kind of come together. So just to finish off then, does media education bridge the gap? We've said a bit about common culture and niche culture. Uh, We've said a bit about what gets legitimised as as cultural capital here and by whom, obviously a a complex process of negotiation. Um, We've said a little bit about how teachers might use their own popular cultural allegiances in the classroom, but how difficult and complicated that is. And if it is a third space, it's a third space that obviously offers some opportunities, but is a kind of prickly, contested, often difficult place to be.